Man, thank you, team. It's good to worship the Lord with you all. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, go to Galatians chapter five. We're gonna look at verses 13 through 15. We are gonna be just slowing down a bit in this section of the book of Galatians. And if you're uh, just joining us for the first time, we've been in a series studying this book. So um, hopefully you will just catch right up. But as we're getting into this chapter, there's just a need to slow down a bit and take it in smaller chunks uh, so that we are really um, getting the full weight of each section. So we're gonna do that. As you're turning, let me do a little bit of housekeeping, remind you of something that if you get our emails, you've gotten this, but some of you don't get those. So February 5th, 6 p.m. is our congregational meeting. We do uh, one a year and, um, or no, a couple, two a year, sorry. Uh, we do a couple a year and in this one, in particular, we bring in a lot of new members. I think we have like 48 new members who are joining the church, becoming part. So we just want to invite you. If you're a member, come and just welcome them in to the family. Uh, be there. We'll have uh, an update from the elders as well. Take care of a few little things like that. And we'll have a reception, just a time to hang out, have fellowship, enjoy one another's company. So if you're not a member, you're welcome to come. Can't vote on stuff, obviously, but you, we'd love for you to come. And just kind of, you can be a fly on the wall and see kind of how we do family business. So Put it on your calendars, February 5th, 6 p.m., all right? Now, as we come to this text, I'm curious, how many of you have ever played the game Would You Rather? Yes, we played Would You Rather? Okay, so I don't love Would You Rather because I'm sure there's a good version of it where there are these really insightful questions that give you like, oh, now I get something more about you. But I feel like every time I play it, maybe this says something about my friends, uh, it's just gross or inane, you know, it's things like, would you rather do this or that? And you're like, oh, that's not, you know, it's just no good choices, right? It's questions like, would you rather have hands for feet or feet for hands? And you're like, who cares, right? These are terrible choices that you've given me. As we come to Galatians chapter five, what Paul's doing in this chapter is focusing on the work of the spirit. I mean, every single second of the chapter is about learning to know the work of the spirit and yield to the work of the spirit. And his large argument in the whole chapter is that the Spirit both keeps us from legalism, which he's been talking about through the whole book, but also from license. He keeps us from both things. Now, let me define license real quick because we've been talking about legalism for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? This idea that we can't earn merit with God. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn our righteousness through keeping a set of rules and regulations. And the second we try to add any of our own good effort to the completed work of Christ on the cross, we have lost Christ. That's his big argument, right? And that's what legalism is, is this sort of summoning up, you know, this sort of bootstraps theology, which says, I, I can be good enough. I can be wise enough. I can be godly enough. And, and the answer is, Paul's just saying, you cannot put away the law, put away the rules as your way of trying to get right with God. And a lot of us came from backgrounds like that, didn't we? Where it was just like all about you know, behavior, <laughs> all about uh, just, you know, doing right, being, you know, rather than the finished work of Jesus and then responding to that with good works. But the other side of that coin then is license. And Paul's gonna shift now in Galatians chapter five, he's been arguing the spirit keeps you from legalism. We talked about that last week. And now he's saying the spirit also keeps you from license. He doesn't let you go in either Direction. He keeps you from wandering off down either of those. There is in the would you rather of legalism and license, neither one's a good choice, all right? Hands for feet, feet for hands, who cares? Terrible choices, both of them, right? And that's what he's saying. License is no, not a better choice than legalism. Legalism is not a better choice 
than license. And license, you can think of it this way, is just, is just the desires of the flesh, our human nature that's in us, our sinful nature, and the desires it produces being led around by those, being sort of, uh, you know, walking in those. They're not God-honoring desires, the lust and anger. In fact, what we're gonna see in two weeks from now is that Paul's gonna list a bunch of them for us. He's gonna say, these are the desires of the flesh. These are the things that are not God honoring. We're gonna just spend a morning thinking about those things, how we walk away from them, put them to death. So that's his argument. The spirit keeps us from legalism and the spirit keeps us from license. Tim Keller has a great quote on this. In thinking about uh, personal revival and also just society-wide revival, like inviting a movement of the spirit of God where people are coming to faith and growing in maturity and there's this just evident work of God happening. One of the things he says, it's an ingredient. If you study those kinds of revivals, those God movements throughout history, one of the ingredients you'll find is that there is a, a rediscovery of the gospel before that sort of outbreaking of the work of the spirit takes place, a rediscovery of the gospel. And here's how he talks about it. He says, this requires, this kind of revival, requires finding a balanced gospel again. The truth that we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. In other words, good works naturally proceed from saving faith. We're saved by the grace of Christ, but that changes our hearts. So we want to obey him. We want God. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he's talking about Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very famous preacher. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones pictures it like managing to balance on the peak of a mountain without slipping down either face of it into heresy. And heresy means wrong belief. Both fundamentalism and liberalism pull us down the mountain, just in opposite directions. Both lose the power of the gospel by slipping into either legalism or relativism. And when you hear relativism there, this idea that anything goes, I can define right and wrong. You can think of that as license, that you would just follow whatever you believe to be right or good, whatever your desires tell you. So the power of the gospel by slipping into either legalism or relativism, a lot of very conservative churches need to rediscover grace. A lot of more liberal churches need to rediscover the cross. We need a large scale rediscovery of the beauty of a balanced gospel. We must get back to the mountaintop. So that's, me quoting Tim Keller, quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones. So we're like three quotes deep there, all right? Later today, you can quote me quoting them and then someone else. You see how that's gonna, it's gonna be awesome. One time, this is a total aside, but Ryan Keith used to preach here. One time he got in the pulpit and he quoted and he said, my friend Trent says this and he said it. And I was like, Ryan, you were quoting me, quoting you. I literally have said that because you said it. And when I say it, I say, my friend Ryan says, and and he was like, yeah, I just didn't want to give myself credit for it. And I was like, just don't quote, just say it. I hope Ryan listens to this online in Georgia. All right, so let's do a little review. Uh, We're going to spend most of our time focused, we're going to look at verses 13 through 15, and we're going to talk about how the Spirit keeps us from license. Like, what are the, how does he do it? What are the tools? But let's remind ourselves that in verses 1 through 12, it's the first point in your sermon notes there, the Spirit keeps us from legalism. And there were two ways that Paul argued the Spirit does this. Now, remember, for Paul, the Spirit is so crucial because what he's saying is the reason 
these Judaizers, these legalists in Galatia are saying, man, if you tell people they don't need the law to get right with God, to be justified, they're just gonna live crazy lives, right? And Paul's argument is, no, no, that's not true. And the main reason it's not true is because if you are a legalist and depend on your own righteousness, you know what you're missing? The spirit, because you don't have the spirit of God. And it's the spirit that works righteousness. It's the spirit that does it. Instead of a list of commands and rules, you have a personal relationship with God through his spirit that's every day, moment by moment, guiding, directing, shaping. That's how you become like God. That's how you become like Jesus. It's not, you legalists who are so worried about people going off the reservation because you know, they don't have to follow the law as a way to get right with God. You've got it totally backwards. They, they don't need the law, they need the spirit. And you don't have the spirit if you depend on your own righteousness. Therefore, you can't, you can't even do the thing you think you want done for them because you don't have the tool. Does that make sense? Yes? That's why he's spending so much time elaborating on the work of the spirit. It's the spirit that's necessary. Now, when he talks about legalism, how does it keep us, how does the spirit come in and keep us from going down the mountainside that direction from legalism? And his answer was by filling us with hope, and by filling us with love, by filling us with hope and by filling us with love. He said, the hope he gives you is that he, the spirit has this way. And I want you to learn to expect this of the spirit. I'm like desperate for you to learn to expect this, that he's going to constantly be taking your attention off of earthly things and getting your mind and your heart up into the heavens and helping you to see a very clear picture of the day that is going to come where you're gonna stand in the presence of God, perfectly clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The way Revelation 19 paints that picture of the church clothed in linen, pure and white. I always read that scripture at wedding ceremonies because the, the wedding and the bride is symbolic of that moment, reminding us that not, it's not just gonna be given us access to God, we are going to be made. You, you are going to be made perfectly righteous with the righteousness of Christ. It's what Colossians 3, 3 is talking about when it says, it says your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's saying the fullest, truest version of who you are in Christ, the certainty of that day is, is hidden there yet to be revealed. And when Christ returns, it will be revealed. So what 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 is talking about when John says, when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Do you, can you see that day? There's gonna be a revelation of Christ. You're gonna see him. He's gonna come down in the sky the same way he ascended. He's going to descend, bringing his saints with him and you are gonna be raised to meet him in the air if you're still alive at that point. And you will meet him there and you will be transformed because you will see him as he is. That's how powerful Christ is. You set your eyes on him. You've been redeemed by him. And when you set your eyes on him, you will never again sin. Every motive will be made pure. Every action, pure. Every thought of the mind, pure. Can you fathom that? Try and get as close to it as you can. Because this is the Spirit's business. This is what he does. He says, when, when chapter five, verse five said, he's going, to, he's going to lead you into the hope of righteousness. What it's saying is, here's what you can expect the Spirit to do. Get your mind up in the heavens to that day. How does that free you from legalism? 
Because once you are absolutely certain of that day and you see that it's the spirit that's working that through the finished work of Christ, you don't come back down out of the sort of heavens in your mind and will and go, you know what? Let me just return to a bunch of lowly works to try and get right with God. You're so certain, so convinced of his power and and that day and that it will come to pass that you no longer have a taste for the lesser things. Does that make sense? The spirit is eager to and aching to do that. So the question is, will you yield to it? Will you make time for it? Will you make space for it? So what I wanna do is make space for it right this second because I can preach all day and prayerfully in the power of the spirit but it's the spirit that has to do the work in you, yes? Words are not enough. So let me just make 15 seconds of space here, okay? The spirit, is, you know, he doesn't go on command, but if he said this is what he does, can we expect that he will do it? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So learn to, learn to go, yep, he said he's gonna do that. I'm gonna expect that he will do that. So I want you to just, you can close your eyes and keep them open, I don't care. I want you to ask the spirit to show you the hope of your righteousness, Just take a moment. See where he takes your mind in that. See if he won't give you the picture of that. Let me be quiet now. Father, what specifically comes to mind is I would just pray a, 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 just a unique filling of the Spirit, an anointing of the Spirit upon those who are wrestling with misplaced shame. We know that there's, there's right shame that leads us to repentance when we've sinned, but then we're free from that. So that right shame can become misplaced shame. And I just wonder if some of my brothers and sisters are feeling that, not walking in the forgiveness that, that is theirs in you or perhaps feeling shame for things that are not sinful. And if that's the case, I pray that you would, in particular for them, give them a clear picture of this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, the Spirit also keeps us from legalism by filling us with love. That was the other thing that we saw in verse six of chapter five, where he says, look, what the Spirit's gonna do is he's gonna overwhelm you with love for God and for others. And as he does that, instead of competing with them and judging them, you're gonna be filled with love for them. Wouldn't that be sweet to look at people and love them the way God loves them? Just for that to be your impulse, your instinct, your desire. It's just like, I'm overwhelmed with love and a, and a, and a really rich love, not the kind of, you know, Faux love, you know, but love with the sharp corners of truth on it. Love like a scalpel that cuts out sin. Love that is unconditional. Love that rushes towards people. Love that receives them where they are and says, come and receive the grace of God and walk towards them. He loves you. And as you do that, as you're filled with love, it, it just eradicates that legalistic instinct. So that's what we've seen so far. And that's pretty rich. Would you agree? So now we turn to, in verses 13, 15, 13, 14, and 15, we turn to this shift now where the rest of the chapter, he's gonna talk about how the Spirit keeps us from the other side of the mountain, slipping down the other side of the mountain into license. So let's read these verses now. For you were called to freedom, brothers. So he's talking there again about the legalism, the law. Like, don't, don't return to slavery, to the law, right? And now here comes the shift. 
For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right, so that's our text. Can you see how he's making the shift from legalism to license? Yep, indeed, you were called to freedom. It's possible then that you would slip down the other side of that mountain and you would use your freedom to excuse all manner of sin, just to following your, your flesh, flesh's desires. And let me, Paul says, help you not go in that direction either, all right? So let's talk about then, how does the Spirit do this? Now, the first thing we need to understand is if you just read that text alone, you might look at it and go, well, I don't see the Spirit reference there. Isn't this just a straightforward command? Don't use your freedom as an excuse or as an opportunity for the flesh. But what I really need you to see is how he's really talking about yielding to the work of the Spirit here throughout the chapter. Because if you took these verses alone and just saw that command, and it is a command, you might just try to follow that in your own strength and you'd be right back where? Down the other side of that mountain, folks. You just slip right down the other side. So you need, to, you need to see the work of the Spirit. So what did we see here? He's saying, don't give opportunity to the flesh, right? But, so how is that gonna happen? But through love, serve one another. So here's three ways we know he's talking about the work of the Spirit in this command. Number one, the verses leading up to it are talking about the work of the Spirit to keep us from legalism. We just talked about that. Verse 16 and following are going to give us a, an admonition to walk in the Spirit. So do we imagine that he's just taking a break from talking about the work of the Spirit at the end of verse 12 and he's gonna pick it back up again at verse 16? No, he's talking about the work of the Spirit throughout. Do you see that, Yes. This is not a break, it's not a hiatus in the chapter where he goes, let me just now give a command and ignore the Spirit for a moment. No, no, he's saying this is the work of the Spirit. Not only that, when he says love, and we're gonna talk about this in a moment, love expressed through service is how you're guarded, how the Spirit keeps you from license. Well, we should recognize something. If he says love is the solution, what did he just say was the solution to legalism that the Spirit works? Love, <laughs> And he's repeating the same solution for the, for the opposite problem. We'll talk about how and why. But if it's the spirit who gives the love that keeps from legalism, then it's also the spirit who gives the love who keeps from license. Does that make sense? Yes? And then further down in verse 21 and 22, he's gonna begin to list the fruit of the spirit. We're gonna cover that in a couple weeks. And the first fruit of the spirit is, I bet you can guess it, what is it? Love. So we know that what he's getting at here is not just a command that you and I need to, again, bootstrap theology, figure out how to do this. He's saying, no, no, no. This is what the Spirit's gonna do. This is what the Spirit's gonna do. So look for it, expect it, and then yield to it. Take the Spirit's hand and let him lead you. This is what he's gonna do if you expect him. If you, if you look for it, you'll see it, okay? So that's deeply important. It may seem like nuance, like preacher nuance to you, where you're just like, yeah, in Trent, we get it. You're just, kind of, you're just kind of getting into the fine details. But what I really need you to see is it is the difference between slipping to the other side of the mountain versus actually walking in what the text is telling you to do. So it's crucial. Now, before we get into love and service as the way the Spirit keeps us from license, we got to do one more thing, and that's this. 
we gotta say, why does the Spirit care to do this? Why is it so important? And we're gonna find the answer in that phrase, don't give an opportunity for the flesh, okay? So the flesh, as we, as we alluded to, is these sinful desires that remain in us. And until Christ returns or calls us home, they will remain in us and they are there to battle. Now, what you need to understand is the reason this is so important to God and to the spirit to do this work is because the flesh is seeking to kill you. It is trying actively to kill you. We have an active flesh, so we need an active spirit, okay? Now, that phrase when he says, don't give any opportunity to the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That word opportunity is a really key word, and it is the same word that a commander in ancient Greece would use to talk about his opportunity, his strategic moment in a battle. To say there's gonna come a moment in this battle where we've laid out this plan, and there's gonna be an opening. We're gonna see it, and when that opening comes, we're going into it, and that's gonna be how we're gonna win the battle. And so when Paul says, don't give an opportunity for the flesh. He's painting a picture for his listeners. And he's saying, the flesh is at war with you and it's looking for its gap. It's looking for its opening. Don't give it that opening. Don't let it have any opportunity. Don't let it have a strategic advantage. That's what he's saying. He's saying, do not for one second give that to the flesh because the spirit uh, wants to give life, but the flesh wants to kill. Now, I recognize as I say that, and I talk about how your own desires are at war with you at points. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans when he says, the very things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. That's a, can we agree that's a normal part of life that we're wrestling with, yes? Part of the challenge. But some of you, you might be thinking, look, I, I find that my desires are pretty trustworthy. I mean, I you're kind of telling me something about my desires being mistrusted or not worthy of trust. And as we're sanctified, our desires can be increasingly trusted. So don't hear me say that every desire you have is wicked, okay? Uh, as, you're, as you grow in Christ-likeness, there are good desires that exist in you, right? And, and you, can, you can certainly lean into those. But what I wanna say to you is, now for those of you who may not be as convinced, let me just ask you this. As you find desires like lust and anger and impatience and jealousy in your heart. My guess is you have found them there, if you're honest. And at times you have given way to those desires and acted upon them. So my question for you is, whenever you've acted upon those, was the result ever good? I mean, ever. Did it build relationships or tear them down? Did it bring more joy or did it just take joy right away? Did it fill you with trust or did it make you afraid? I've yet to find the person. So maybe in here today, the first one is there somewhere. I've yet to find the person that says, yeah, when I yielded to those desires, it really produced a great thing. Almost, I mean, without exception, every conversation I've ever had about this is, yeah, my desires and following them, these desires of the flesh, they've only produced death. And that's evidence that your flesh is trying to kill you. That's what he's saying. Don't give it any opportunity. All right. Now, how do we not? How does the spirit lead us out of license? And the answer is so simple. The first one though is really like, we've got to kind of get into the deep things of the spirit. And I'm just telling you, 
I'm gonna give you like this much and you're just gonna have to chew on it, chew on it, chew on it, chew on it because you're trying to let the spirit take hold and teach you about himself, okay? And then the second one is really, I mean, it's really so straightforward, okay? So two things, he says, but through love serve one another. And then in verse 14, he says, for the whole law, We'll talk about why, why would he return to the law after spending so much time saying, don't go to the law, don't go to the law, don't go to the law, and then he comes back to the law. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, love your neighbor as yourself. So he says to us, the way the spirit is going to overcome license, gonna guard you from license, keep you from it, is through filling you with love and through calling you to serve. Filling you with love and calling you to serve. Let's take each one of those one at a time. So the Spirit fills us with love, and that's how he keeps us. So now, let me find my spot here. All right, the first thing to notice there is that when he says he's gonna fill you with love, through love, serve one another, and then he says, love your neighbor as yourself, love is the emphasis here. That's the exact same tool that the Spirit is using to keep us from legalism. And we said that it keeps us from legalism by filling us with love so we're not in competition with one another. We're not in judgment of one another. We find ourselves loving one another. Well, my goodness, the Spirit's gonna take the same tool, the filling us with love, and he's gonna use that to keep us from license. How does he do that? Two ways. The first is by giving us a rightly ordered love. Now, when you try to summon up love or create it in your own you know, willfulness, your own ability, that love is always going to be misordered. It's gonna either, uh, it's, gonna, it's gonna put other people in the wrong position where they become idols to us or it's gonna put ourselves first. The, spirit, the love the Spirit gives always puts God first. You hear that? The, the love the Spirit plants in our hearts always puts God first. And therefore, our loves are rightly ordered. If you love anything more than you love God, your love is misordered. It's disordered. And as such, it will create twisting and turning and sin. But when your love is rightly ordered, everything, all secondary loves come underneath that first love. And as it does, it produces righteousness. It produces righteousness. So you can learn to look for the Spirit's work of filling you with love as you learn to love God first and most. Now, here's the beauty of this. He doesn't deliver us from license, the desires of our flesh, by saying, here's a list of commands, keep them. He delivers us from license through a living spirit who dwells within us and whom we have a relationship with. And that relationship, growing in love, is what causes us to not want the things of our flesh anymore. Can I, it's a bad competition to say, I'm gonna put up a list of written rules and pit it against the desires of my flesh. The flesh is gonna win every time because those rules can't outweigh your desire to do that thing. But you know what can? A better, more life-giving relationship with the Spirit of God. One that, that causes you to be inflamed with a love for God. And the more you love Him, the less you love the things that are counter to Him. The more these desires fade and weaken you cannot, you cannot just eliminate the desires of the flesh. They have to be, your loyalty has to be shifted to another love. There has to be a greater love rather than just this love. It's the same way that we, this is one of the great tools against lust in our lives. 
And I, I'll say for men and for women, one of the questions I ask myself every, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm training myself to ask this question. Every time an image pops up or uh, walks past me that tempts me into uh, a lustfulness that is not godly, I ask myself, does the gaze of my eyes going towards that thing help me love my wife better? Or will it diminish my love for her? That's an incredibly helpful tool. Because I think I want to be satisfied in my wife. I want to find my wife beautiful. I want to adore my wife. A single second of extra look at that thing or clicking on that button does not help me accomplish that at all. That's a really helpful tool because there's a greater love. I'm not just trying to battle against lust with a command, don't do that. I'm battling against lust with a greater primary love. Do you see it? I'm going, this is what I, my heart of hearts is to have the sweetest, most life-giving, most joy-filled marriage I could possibly have. In order to have that, I need to adore my wife. I'm not gonna do anything that prevents that from happening. And as you ingrain that in yourself, it's the greater love that fights against the lesser lusts. You with me? This is the beauty of the spirit dwelling in you. He is your greater love and he is leading you to your greater love moment by moment and everything else becomes lesser. Now, let me say here, this is why all the, this is why in verse 14, and I'm gonna move on from this. This is why in verse 14, Paul talks about the law. Because as I said, you might not expect to find that here. I mean, literally the first four chapters were all about like, don't go to the law. Don't go to the law. If you depend upon the law, you're dying, you're dead. And now he comes and he says, well, the fulfillment of the law is love. And here's why. Because now he's transitioned to talking about license. And when he was talking about legalism, he was saying, if you depend upon the law to get right with God, can't do it. You'll never keep it. You'll have to fulfill the whole thing. You'll never be able to do it. It will kill you. But once you let go of the law, the, the moral law of God, don't murder, don't steal, right? Once you let go of that as a way to say, I'm going to get myself right with God. Now you see the law for God, for one of the things that it does. It reveals the holy character and nature of God. And now those commands, instead of coming to them and going, I got to keep them, and that's how I'm going to get past this flesh stuff, it's no longer a list of rules to follow for my righteousness. What is it? It's an expression of the very nature of God himself. And so when I read, do not murder, I don't go, keep that, keep that, keep that, keep that, obey it, obey it, get righteous, get righteous. I go, oh my gosh, that reveals the Father to me. He is the maker of all things, including humans who bear his image. Why do I not murder? Because if I murder, I, I don't know God. I love him. So his commands become a treasure. It's why Psalm 19, Psalm 119, David can write things like, I love your law, oh God. I delight in your law, not because it earns righteousness, because it reveals the Father and his nature. And that's how Paul's talking about it here. You want to fight against lust now. You want to fight against the flesh. Now you leverage the law and its fulfillment, love. Love your neighbor. 
you leverage it, not as a list of commands, you leverage it as a revelation of the very nature of God himself. Okay, now that's a lot of real like in, intense nuance. Are you following? Yes? Okay, all right. So <laughs> there weren't a lot of shaking, there weren't a lot of this. Just chew on it, okay? Will you chew on it for me? Okay, awesome. Go back to the text, okay? Spirit will keep teaching you. All right, so now then, he says love is how he's going, he's gonna fill us with it and that's gonna help deliver us, keep us from license. The second thing, which again is so simple, is now, and we can just do it much more succinctly, is service. He says, but, don't make opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what church? Serve one another. Now I want you to see the expansive nature of this love because he says serve one another. And then in verse 14, he goes to the law, the fulfillment of the law is love your neighbor as yourself. And let's remember that Jesus in Luke 10 in the parable of the Good Samaritan, when he defined who is my neighbor, his answer was everybody. I mean, that's the summation of it. It's not just the person who lives next to you. It's not just the person who believes what you believe. It's the person who votes differently than you, who has a different religious belief than you do, who has a different worldview than you do. It's everybody. That's who your neighbor is. Love that person like you love yourself. So it's this expansive love and this expansive service. So the very simple question is, the expectation is true love, the love of the spirit, genuine love, rightly ordered love produces service. Why? How does this, how does this deliver us from the flesh, keep us from license? Here's how. The desires of the flesh are self-centered. They are self-centered. They want to please you. Even when you serve someone else, it's really about what that person will think about you or how to get the thing that you need out of having served them. But the true love, the love of the Spirit is selfless, not selfish. And so when the Spirit comes in and fills you with love and then calls you into service, what he's doing is he's saying, here's a practical way that you're gonna overcome your flesh by putting someone else's needs ahead of your own, counting someone else more important than yourself. So can I just ask you a really simple question? How are you serving others? How many of you are saying, I've got this sin that I can't seem to conquer. I can't seem to kind of put it to death. I, I don't seem to make any progress with it. And if I were to say to you, how are you serving others? You might not see how that relates. Do you see how it relates now? I said, how are you serving someone other than yourself so that your flesh is put to death and you may find greater victory in that sin pattern that you're struggling in? So the Spirit is going to give you love and call you to serve. And here's the beauty of it. We're gonna talk, we, well, it's not in this text, but in Ephesians, Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. This, if you're in Christ, the Spirit's giving you gifts, amen? Some of you leadership, some of you mercy, some of you are brilliant in the arts, right? Musically gifted. I don't know what your gift is. You might be gifted in administration or leadership or you, know, um, you, you are great at details. I mean, there's all these different spiritual gifts that are talked about in scripture. No one list is, is a complete list throughout the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, they have beautiful lists of these gifts. But friends, can I just tell you, here's the beauty of it. The spirit calls you to serve as a way to overcome your flesh, as a way to as a keep you from license. And he doesn't just tell you to do it. He gives you the thing with which to do it. He gives you the gifts and says, use them, use them. So if you don't know what your gifts are, one, we wanna help you with that. Connect with one of our staff team. We wanna help you unpack and un un discover what your gifts are. 
And then my encouragement to you is use them. And I don't mean use them occasionally when the opportunity pops up. I mean, what is your plan, your intentional plan for using the gifts the Spirit has given you? Are you using them? As you use them, you get your attention off yourself and onto others and onto others. And as you do, as you're loving your neighbor as yourself, then what's gonna happen is you're gonna be less prone to license because you're gonna be focused on not yourself, but others. That should be super simple. Does that make sense to everybody? So that's my encouragement to you. I mean, we have so many opportunities to serve here, but do you know that we don't have those opportunities to serve because we have these programs and we just really wanna run those programs? We don't need you to serve in order to get those programs done. We have the programs to get you done. Those programs, those places to serve, they exist so that you will get done. So that as you use your gifts, you grow in righteousness, you overcome license, you don't walk in legalism because you're filled with the love of the Spirit and you implement it and experience it day by day as you look to meet the needs of others. You activate it in that way. So I hope that makes sense, all right? So we're gonna keep journeying now for the next several weeks. I broke these into small chunks on purpose because next week we're gonna hear this command, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. We're gonna examine that. What does that mean? How do we do that? And then following that, we're gonna get a list of the works of the flesh that are not of the Spirit. And then the culmination of it is the fruit of the Spirit that we'll see love and joy and peace and patience. How do we walk in those? So we're just gonna take them each a piece at a time in the weeks to come. All of it is so that we would learn to recognize the work of the Spirit, see it day by day, and then yield to it so that we might become like Christ. All right, let's pray together. And then we're gonna respond to God's word through song. Father, we love your word. And uh, you know, I always am going to do my level best to just give your word to your people not my opinions or perspectives, but um, we know that ultimately your word is living and active because your spirit takes it, uses it, and plants it in our hearts. So I pray that you do that. If there's any resistance in any of us, including myself, to anything that is here in your scriptures, we ask you to remove that. In your kindness, would you do that? We're willful people. We get stubborn about that. We know that. We ask you to to get past our stubbornness, break that down. Uh, If there's areas where you're, you're just kind of moving in on us, challenging us, help us, to, help us to just be open-handed with you in that. We wanna be walking with you day by day. So Holy Spirit, take our hands and lead us. And would you now, Father, receive our praises, Jesus, receive our praises. You are worthy of them as we sing them to you. It's just our way of saying your word is true and we've heard it and now we wanna respond and say we love you even more for having heard your truth. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.